Welcome to Tucumcari First Assembly's podcast. Now open your hearts to be changed by the Word of God. If you would, take your Bibles and, and turn to Philippians chapter 3. I, I have given you some notes this morning. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but I am glad for seasons. I, I love all the seasons. And we live in a part of the world where some years we get all four. Right? Some years we just have two. Just cold and windy and hot and windy. But some years we actually have four seasons, and I'm so I'm grateful for all of them. I, I think we learn and grow through all of them. I think the seasons, God gave us seasons for a reason. Come on. And, and every season has its benefits. Um, when in the wintertime, things need, the, 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 the tiny little insects, insects need to die away. Right? So God brings a freeze, and he, he, he does a little bit of a reset to the soil. He does a, a little bit of reset in, that, in, that, in that, that little bitty insect world. He, and then in the spring, what happens? He reju, re, rejuvenates everything. Seems like everything comes back to life. And uh, there's just a reset. Well, there's a reset in our lives all the time. Seasons come, seasons go, Right? Change happens, and I've learned in life that those seasons, we can be thankful for them. So if you're going through one season now, here's what I want to ask you to do. I want you to thank God for the season you're in and thank Him for the one that's coming. Too often we just thank Him for what's ahead, right? Oh God, get me out of this one, put me in the next one. But we might not know what's coming in the next one. So we might ought to be thankful for this one, right? And so I want to encourage you as we move through this morning, as I, as I begin to, 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 to preach to you this morning, that the season that you're currently in, you can be thankful for. And the season that is ahead, I believe, and I hope you would believe, you would have faith in God that you would trust him, that he has an even better season for you ahead. Amen? So I, I grew up thinking that from in one season, you know, this was the greatest season ever, and then the next season would come. You know, how, how many of you, uh, you, you've, been around, you've been around boys, they hate girls, right? Little boys, they don't like girls, and then all of a sudden they want one, right? It's like a, a switch flips, and all the, yes, I have to have a girl, right? And those kind of things, those things happen, right? Seasons change, and, and the hard thing is, is when we move from one, we, we, we would rather sometimes stay put in the last one, right? And uh, Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul, he's, he's writing these words to this ancient Greek city of Philippi, and Paul is telling them that every accomplishment, every accolade, everything that, that he has, that he, every success that he's acquired over the years, everything he's been a part of before he met Jesus, and he, he counts them all as a loss. I want you to notice this. Sometimes we sit around and talk about the good old days, right? I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul does, he counts them all as loss. He counts them as a big pile of waste, right? Everything that I've ever done, he says, is now meaningless to me because Jesus is better than everything I've done or will ever do or will ever be. Jesus is the goal. 
And so I count what happened before. I count what I've earned. I count what I've acquired. I count what I've worked hard for. Right? I count it as a loss. Not that it was wasted time, but it got me to where I am. But I count it as a loss so that I can put my faith truly in him and not in me. Because if you count all the accomplishments and just keep piling those things up and stroking your own ego, right? What what will happen? What will happen? You'll rely upon you and not God. Philippians chapter 3 verse 7 says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith. What's he talking about? Not not that I just strive to be a strict person, to go by the letter of the law of the Lord. What we find in scripture, right? The first five books of the Bible, the law that God had given, right? He's saying, listen, I, I, I love that. I love the law, but I'm not, that, that's not the driving force. Are you with me? It's the heart that I want to, I want to connect with God, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Now stop right there. How many of you are like, I am not quite where Paul is. I love Jesus. I don't want to go to the cross and suffer. Right? But Paul is so committed to the cause. He's saying, I would love to participate in even the sufferings that might come my way if I can in process grow closer to him and others grow closer to him. So there's, there's, there's this, there's pain that comes, right guys? There's trials that are ahead. There's seasons that arrive that you didn't know were, were coming, right? And, and he says, becoming like him in his death, verse 11. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's like, I don't even know how that's going to happen. But I'm all in it. I'm in it to win it, right? I'm all in. Verse 12, not that I've already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. Circle that. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Notice that here Paul is saying the only way I could ever have grabbed onto Jesus is because he grabbed onto me first. We, (laughs) please understand You don't find Jesus. He already found you. He he came looking for you. On a mission for you. So the the only way that you and I could be saved is because Jesus took the first move. He stepped first. It was Jesus who got up. It's it's Jesus who went to the Father and said, let let me be the redemption for them. Right? Right? Let, let me rescue them. Let me go to them. Let me, let me, aren't you glad? Come on, church. Aren't you glad? Verse 13, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to yet have taken hold of it. In other words, it's coming. But one thing I do, one thing I do, one thing I do, not a million things, not 47 things, not the top 10 things. 
One thing I do. Should have titled the message, One Thing I Do. Okay, but I didn't. I titled it the next thing. Very important that we're people that can focus on one thing. Come on. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you can carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He uses the same phrase here in, in Philippians 3. There's one thing I do, and that is this, forgetting what is behind. Look up at me. Some of us, that is our issue. We, will, we just refuse to forget what's behind Paul says, there's one thing I do. Remember, this is the guy that says, follow me as I follow Christ. How many of us are saying that? Sometimes it's like, follow other people because I fail pretty often. Right? Paul says, there's one thing I do. You want to know the secret, the secret to getting close. You want to know the secret to moving on, from going from one season to the next. You, know, you want to know the secret in abiding in him. There's one thing I do, and that is verse 13, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press, say press, I press on. I press on. It doesn't say I relax on, I take a nap on. I wait forever to hear an audible voice from heaven. God will surely write clouds in the sky with exactly what I need to do. No. What does he say here? I forget what's behind. And I what? I press on. Press on. That's work. Come on, everybody. Pressing is hard. You got to press on. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heaven, called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Verse 15. All of us then who are mature should Take such a view of things. In other words, if you're going to mature in him, if you're going to grow in Christ, come on, someone. If you're going to, and, and you're not called to be a baby Christian forever. Right? right you're, you're, most of you are you're big boys and girls. Right? Like you, you they gave you a license. Because they thought you were able to drive. You can handle responsibility. I wonder how many of us in, in the spiritual would just still have a permit. Still trying to acquire some hours in hopes that someday we might be able to get a full-blown license. Right? All of us then who are mature should take such view of things and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you, verse 15. Verse 16 says, only let us live up to what we have already attained. How, how many of you did not pray that, that prayer this morning? God, today, 
May the fullness of my life be existent only to what I've already obtained. No way, right? Oh, the overwhelming love of God, right? Come on. We trust in him. He's the anchor for our soul. I put my trust and my faith in Jesus. Come on. We've got to look at things differently. We've got to press on. We've got to move forward. You, you, You and I can understand what Jesus has already done for us. We would be pressing really hard. Right? If we could just see what he's deposited in us, what he has for us, what the next season looks like. Come on, church. If we could live up to what he's already given us by his gift of grace and power of his spirit. Listen, our entire world would look different. The whole world would be different. Salvation is not achieved. We cannot earn it. It is received. We, 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 we take hold of it. Right? We, we receive that gift that God has given to us. Verse 17. Don't you love scripture? Join together in following my example. Brothers and sisters, and just as you have, have us as a model, keep your eyes on those as, who live as we do. Man, that is, Paul, you're calling us to like pay attention to who is like paying attention. Right? And to, to actually have people that we can join arms with and walk through life together with and, and not stumble and fall on our own or, or just, you know, we're just going, we're, we, were, we were doing pretty good and then we ran into a rough patch and we, we messed up big time, right? We sinned, so now we don't, don't know what to do. No, no, no. Other people are doing that too. But they're, 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 coming to, they're coming back through repentance, come on church, and, and they're, they're, they're pressing on. They're, they're pressing on even in spite of. And, and how you do that is you forget what the former things that are behind. Come on. And so it says here, verse 18, For as I have, as I, as, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, may live as enemies... Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Paul knew the condition of the church. He knew. He knew that there were false teachers. He knew that there were those who possessed a form of godliness but lacked the power. Right, that comes with godly living. He knew that there were many who lived according to the pattern of the world, and and they did not separate themselves from the teaching of the world, yet they tried to double dip, right, and play both sides of the fence and live for Jesus, say the Jesus words, right? But live like they want the rest of the time. They claim the benefits of connection to Jesus. They just don't want the responsibility of being a son or daughter. Come on. Those who are self-seeking and not God-fearing. Verse 20. It's crazy how their, their world kind of looks like ours. It's amazing. Verse 20. 
but our citizenship is in heaven. It is in heaven. In other, words, in other words, we don't think like the world. We don't act like the world. We don't eagerly achieve what the world is running after. Right? We don't repay evil for evil. We don't do things the way the world does them because we're citizens not of this kingdom. So we don't follow in the patterns of this kingdom, but another one. So we value those things greater than the things that we can see. You're a spiritual being. So he knew that there were many people who, who, who did this, who acted one way, lived another. But, but he says, but we're citizens of heaven. He's calling us back. He's calling us back. To, he's calling the church there at Philippi back. He's calling us back. Because we're citizens of that kingdom, a kingdom that will be attacked on every side, yet not, never fail, never be defeated. Ruled by a king who has never nor will ever be met with a worthy opponent. That will, that will challenge the authority of his throne. It'll never happen. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is where our citizenship is. We are not the same. We are different in Jesus' name. Verse 20, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. Mm. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Who needs healing? Come on, church. Yes. Yes. So keep in mind that Paul is writing here not from a cushy office with a window that overlooks the city. I want you to understand this. Not from an ocean resort, right? Not, not in the starter home that you see that are lining the golf courses of today, okay? He's, he's not in a cabin on a mountainside. And in, now, I love going to nice places like the rest of you do. Don't you love going to nice places? I enjoyed all the, the time away that, that, that we get to spend in, in those type of places. I love all of it. But he's writing this letter from a dark, nasty prison cell. And this is yet the attitude of Paul. Right? Where he's shackled to either the floor or the wall or, or, a, or a Roman guard that has charge over him whose job is to not allow him to escape. This is where Paul is. So it's just a little bit ironic that Paul, who's in this condition, is writing to the church in Philippi saying for them to press on. Right? Press on. Oh, I can't, but you should. I would if I could. Right? How many of you know he is? He was pressing on while shackled to the floor. Sometimes we get in situations where we're like, I can't do anything about this. Are you shackled to the floor? Right? I mean, it's put things in perspective. Right? What, the Sonic app's down? Again? Oh, it's so hard today, isn't it? <laughs> Paul's encouraging us to press on while he physically cannot. The freedom he once had, gone. 
Even, even though he can't move, he wants the people he's writing to. That's the church at Philippi. That's all fellow believers after that point. He's wanting them and us to know that no matter where we find ourselves, we can still exercise our faith in Christ Jesus to move when God tells us to move. Right? To go when he tells us it's time to to, to step out, to walk in faith, to exercise those things. I want to point out a few things here that have, that have, have really been helpful for me, okay? That, that I think will be helpful for you in this passage of Scripture. So write some stuff in your notes. You, you got notes when you came in. If you didn't, make that a habit when you come in. Find them, get them. But number one is this. Don't stop when you feel stuck. <clears throat> don't stop when you feel stuck. You're going to feel stuck. Who's been stuck? Like literally stuck. That's fun, isn't it? That always happens at the most convenient moments. Right? Winston Churchill said, when you find yourself going through hell, by all means, keep going. <laughs> Some people, like, they get a P.O. box in hell, right? Oh, I'm just going through hell. I think I'll settle here. Okay. Keep going. You know that from time to time, everything seems like it's falling apart. Right? It never happens conveniently when you have to be somewhere. You're, yeah, that's when you're going to, that's when traffic's going to be. And I say t- traffic. We live in Tucum Carry. Check this out. Last Sunday after church, we, we went home. Mom and dad were there. We, we ate lunch with them, and, and they were going to have to leave. And I looked at Dylan, and I was like, listen, the wind's been blowing. Last Sunday, it wasn't real windy. And I was like, let's go fishing. He said, okay. So we hooked onto the boat, jumped in the and the pickup took off, and wouldn't you know it, one mile from the exit to Mine Canyon where we could put the boat in the water, and I don't care if the fish are biting, I can just hear the trolling motor, and I can hear the water splashing on the side of the boat, I can close my eyes and relax. But no. We sat on 54 for an hour and a half because it was a car wreck, Right? Now, poor me, huh? Poor me. Y'all feel real bad for me right now. Right? Our plans were thwarted. Poor kid, he couldn't fish. People up there having issues. How many of you know that? Perspective, right? But when you want to go somewhere, sometimes things get in the way. Our plans sometimes have to change, right? Your kids don't act up until you're in public. And we all know that whole statement is a lie. They do. They act up. But all of a sudden, when you're around someone that you feel like you need to impress, that's when they do something stupid. And and prove your raisin. Come on, church. All of us, myself included, when things get tough, our courage is leaking out. What happens? We have the tendency to stop. We have the tendency to just pause. Just wait. Sometimes there's good in the waiting. But sometimes God's calling us to press on. 
Sometimes he's calling us to press on. And, and I'll just tell you, um, sometimes what we do is when we stop, when we wait, almost inevitably, what do we do when we wait? We invite other people to wait with us. Right? We invite friends, family, virtual friends. We throw a big pity party. And we just want them to be miserable with us. Don't we? It's the worst possible thing we can do. Listen, don't stop. Press on. Press on. Press on. Paul's saying that you think that by surrounding by your surroundings and your circumstances that I'm bound in your pain. No, I'm not. We got to press on. We got to live powerfully. Come on, church. It might look like a prison to you, but God's got a purpose for you living there. Paul had a massive purpose for being shackled to the floor in a nasty Roman prison cell. And he's telling us, even though I can't, I'm encouraging you to press on, to move out of this place that you suddenly are in. He, what did he do? He was going to go on to preach the gospel to every prisoner around him. Right? He, he can write all these letters from this prison cell that, that will change the destiny of people's lives for all of eternity. Yet we would consider him stuck. So don't stop when you're stuck. Don't stop. Sometimes that's where God wants you to be. Write that down. That's not in your notes, but I would write it down. Listen, it's your story, but your story's for his, sounds kind of corny, but it's your story, but it's his glory. Okay, so you're walking through some things, yet you don't see a way forward. Paul says, I forget what's behind, and I'm going to press on. I'm going to keep going. I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to get lackadaisical. I'm not going to get apathetic. I'm going to move forward. So don't stop. Listen, when I, when I played football, I was taught really early on and later taught this coaching, you do not stand around on a field. You will get your head knocked off. When I played football, we could, like, we could actually play football. We could hit people with our helmets. I don't even know why they have helmets now. Oh, you can't touch with helmets. It's a flag. Grief. We're going we're gonna to put bubbles around them pretty soon. Right? It's not volleyball, sir. It's football. Mom, if you can't handle your daughter playing football, put her in something else. Or him. Excuse me. Got the pronouns mixed up. <laughs> right? That's why I don't coach anymore. Sorry, son. Cheerleading practice is over. It's a man's game. Hello? So what do you do when life feels stuck? 
What about when you failed? What about when sins crept in? You've given in. What do you do? What do you do when you feel like you've done something so pathetic that you feel like God couldn't move and use you again? What do you do? I think Paul would say something like this in your notes, write it down. Fail fast, then forget about it. Fail fast, then forget about it. John Maxwell, who's an expert in the area of leadership and business practices, will tell you the faster you fail, the quicker you'll succeed. In his book called Failing Forward, he tells a story about an art teacher who did an experiment with his grading system for two groups of students, and it's a parable on the benefits of failure. Here's what happened. He, he, the, the ceramics teacher announced on opening day that he was going to divide the class into two different groups. Two groups of students in the same class. All those on the left side of the studio, he said, would be graded solely on the, on the quality of their work. Everybody on the right side of the studio would be graded solely on the quantity of their work. And at the end of the semester, he would literally put a scale on the, in the floor and he would, he would weigh the quality versus the quantity. And if you got a certain number of things done, then you would get an A. A little bit less by weight, you would get a B and so on and so forth. And... Those being graded on quality, however, needed only to produce one perfect piece. Just one. The other side of the room, just quantity. The other side of the room, just quality. Well, grading time came and a, and a, a, a curious fact emerged. The, the works of the highest quality were produced by the group being graded for what? Quantity. You know why? Over half of the other side of the room failed to even produce one thing because they got stuck sitting around trying to figure out how to make something perfect. And they never even started. See what I'm saying? Me too. I would have just wished I was in that quantity group because I, I, I'll just be... I'll just be honest with you. Sometimes in the, perf the per pursuit of perfection or what is ideally in my head, I get stuck. Well, I can't do it like I want. I just, ah! So I'm just, I'll just wait. I'll just press on. Move ahead. Right? Last week, I, uh, <laughs> I'm telling myself here, you ready? I opened my computer one day and I realized I had 7,052 emails that had never been opened. In one of my four or five email accounts. But the one I used the most. Then I started looking and I probably had four or five times that many that had been opened. I had just not done anything with them. So I've got a new plan for my life. If I open an email, it's either trash or I'm doing something with it right now. Because it ain't going to stick around after today. And I leaned on that, de that delete button and nodded off a couple times. And I still have things to delete. How many of you understand? Probably deleted a few things I probably shouldn't have. Um, 
I can get very quickly caught up in the pursuit of ideal. Listen to me. In your spiritual walk, don't get caught up in ideal. Press on. Press on. If you get to the end of the day and the big win for you spiritually is, I actually asked, I, 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 I turned and, and spent time in prayer with the Lord like more than just a thought today. That's a win. For some of you, that's a huge win. Press on. Continue moving forward. Right? Some of you, unless every addiction's broken, every, everything you've ever done has been, you've, you've sought forgiveness for those people that you've hurt. You just beat yourself up over it. Listen. Press on. Move forward. Come on, church. Keep moving forward. Be better today than you were. Yeah, just by a smidge. If you need, just whatever it takes. But don't get caught up in perfection. Are you moving toward breakdown or toward breakthrough? The choice is yours. Philippians 3.13, I do not consider myself yet to take hold of it. One thing I do, forgetting what is behind. Question, what did he have to forget? This is Paul, Right? This is Paul, because what I'm sure, I'm sure we all have stuff that we'd like to forget, dishonoring our parents when we lived in their home. How many of you can recall? Yep, did that, right? Did that, all sorts of things. We've all got stuff. The Bible says there's not one righteous one among us, not, not even one. We've all sinned. Everyone has. So why is Paul being so adamant about saying this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward? What is he trying to forget? How about the fact that he was a murderer? Right? Some of us, we might have addictions, failed relationships, failed businesses, finances that are not honoring to God. We've got all things we've mixed up, but Paul, Paul had to forget that he was a murderer. Acts chapter 6 and verse in, in chapter 7, uh, Luke records the facts about this guy named Saul who brought another guy named Stephen, right, to trial, and he held their coats while they threw rocks at him. The Bible says that when Stephen was a young man full of wisdom and full of the Spirit of God, right, and he spoke with conviction, he was so powerfully anointed by God that the religious elite got mad when he spoke. They got mad at him and they turned against him, and Stephen begins to preach to them, and the Sanhedrin ask him, have you blasphemed God? And Stephen preaches the entire gospel from the Old Testament to the crucifixion and, and the resurrection of Jesus. And the Bible says that they became so angry at Stephen that they pulled him outside of the city and they stoned him, right? Not recreationally. And there was a man mentioned by name twice in this passage of Scripture. And how many of you understand that every word in Scripture has meaning and purpose? Right, you've heard me say that a thousand times. Listen, his name is Saul. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 58, it says, They dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named 
Saul. The second time it mentions Saul, it says, in, in chapter 8, verse 1, it says, And Saul approved of, the, of their killing him. He approved of them killing him. So we, saw, we know that Saul was not just there as a, as a, as a bystander. He's not, he's, 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 he's not there as just a witness. Listen, he's responsible for Stephen's death. The blood is on his hands. And he does like a lot of elitists. What does he do? The blood's on his hands, but he stands quietly aside and let other people do the dirty work. Well, how do we know, how do we know that Saul was the one who had Stephen killed? Well, you remember when the religious leaders caught the woman in the act of adultery? Remember that? They say to Jesus, we caught her in the very act of adultery in the law. First five books of the Bible, right? They say, they say, they say that the, the law, the law of Moses says that when that such women should be stoned. What do you say? And it's another beautiful story in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Right? Let me tell you something. Don't spar with Jesus. Okay? Don't play Jeopardy with Jesus. He's the king. <laughs> right? Don't arm wrestle with Jesus. Right? Don't don't Bible trivia with Jesus. Don't knock knock joke with Jesus. <laughs> hey Jesus. Yes, my child. Knock knock. I know. <laughs> right? They're trying to mess with Jesus. And he says, Okay, boys, I'll play your little game. Let's go. I'll tell you what. Whoever among you has never sinned. You throw the first rock. I'll wait. What happened? They all drop their rocks and walk home. The first stone is symbolic and powerful. According to Jewish tradition, when someone was brought to trial punishable by death, the plaintiff would bring the defendant before the Sanhedrin. And if they were found guilty, the plaintiff would cast the first stone. Then the plaintiff would back away and not throw another one. Then the mob would come and get full range of motion and they would, they would then throw rocks and they would take care of, and the first one, the, 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 he would take care of the outer garments. This is who Paul or Saul used to be, right? That's why the stoning of death of Jesus, they laid their coat at the feet of Saul. Saul fought like so many that if, if I can't take him out, I'll shut it down, right? But what he did not understand is this, that the persecution makes the church grow stronger. That the more we are beat down, the more we press on. Come on, church. Those that truly belong to Jesus, we don't stop, we press on. That when our strength is gone, we then can rely upon a supernatural strength of God that has no limits. You see, we're limited until our limit's over. And then we can rely on the one that has no limits. Come on, church. Because his strength, Scripture says, is made perfect in our weakness. Therefore, boast all the more. Come on. 
all the more gladly in the sufferings and the trials and the hardships and all the hell that we have gone through. For It's all for His glory and for, for our growth. So Saul is now Paul. Are you with me? Because he watched Stephen die and he heard Stephen say something at the end of his life that I believe haunted him until he gave his life to Jesus. The testimony of a man fully committed. Can I tell you something? Still changes lives. Still changes lives. At the end of the Gospel of Mark, it says that Jesus ascended back into heaven and where he sat down at the right hand of God, the Bible says he's literally right now praying for us. In Acts chapter 6, when Stephen's about to die, he looks up to heaven and he sees Jesus stand up, right? He sees him standing there. Listen to me. As the limestone rocks and granite rocks are bouncing off of his skull, he says this in Acts chapter 7, verse 56. Look, he said, I see the heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Jesus gives Stephen a standing ovation from the throne in heaven for the faith that he possesses. When brought before the Sanhedrin, a man fully committed. So we see that what Paul is saying is, I've worked my whole life at looking good. Right? Worked my whole life at looking good. I'm raising a star. I'm a, I'm, excuse me, I'm a rising star among the Jews. I'm a Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm a rabbi, teacher of the law. That's who I am. I've gone as high as I can go. I got all the alphabet soup behind my name. I'm sitting here watching a young man die, literally breathing his last breath. He's got something I, I don't begin to have. He's got joy. He's got peace. He's, he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. I couldn't get that if I wanted to. Jesus Christ literally gave Stephen a standing ovation as he enters the kingdom of heaven. It's incredible. And two chapters later, this guy named Saul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus where he's going to go kill more Christians. That's his plan. And Jesus says, you stop right where you are. Right there. It's time for you to change. It's time for you to do something different. It's time for me to lead your life. It's time for you to get out of the way and forget all the accolades. It's time, it's time for true purpose to happen. It's time for the pursuit of all you thought would be beneficial to you. It's time for that to come to an end and for a season to change within your mind. And I promise that if you'll move toward what I've got for you, then I will finish the job. Listen to me, I've, I've never seen God be in a miracle without finishing it really well. Really well. God always does what he says he's going to do. He always keeps his promise. He always finishes his job. This is, this is what Paul had to move on from. For the rest of his life, listen, he was a preacher of the gospel. He preached the word of God. 
with the reality that he was a murderer. But he forgot what was behind and he pressed on to what was ahead. That's why you fail fast and you forget about it. In your notes, write this down. Linger on the lesson, don't fixate on the failure. Every failure comes with a catalog of lessons to be equipped by. We just ask the Holy Spirit to show us what we need to learn, what must change in our lives. Right? If you'll ask, you won't have to go through the lesson again and again. But there's a difference in lingering on the lesson and fixating on the, on the failure. Often we tend to concentrate on the failure. We put our attention on and we allow the enemy of our life to literally sabotage what God wants to bring us out of. Remember, God specializes in, in using people who've blown it. He, unless you're a failure, listen to me, you don't even qualify to be used by God. Some of you, you're like, well, your head is so big, you don't even feel like you qualify. I would think that that would be funny, but for me, it's really sad. Because I know some of these folks. Listen, Paul's identity could have been, he could have stayed a murderer, but instead he allowed it to be transformed. He allowed it to be transformed into a son of God, called to preach the good news and deliver the gospel. Listen, in your notes, write this down. Don't fear failure, fear never living in faith. Don't fear failure. Fear never living in faith. And if you're going to have faith, at some point you're going to put faith in some wrong things. The fear of not making the team kept a bunch of people from ever trying out. Come on. Don't fear failure. Fear not having the faith to press on. One thing I know is that God is not, God is going to get his way with or without me. Are you with me? God's way is going to happen. I can either be with him or I don't have to be with him. But it's going, to, it's going to happen. My biggest fear is not failure. I've already failed. <laughs> okay? I got failure on lock. And Jesus has taken, according to the scripture, has taken my failure. Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. My biggest fear is when God tells me to press on, when things go get, get tough, I don't answer. That's my biggest fear. Is that I just stay stuck. Is that I don't press on. Is that I don't push forward. Next in your notes, write this down. Faith precedes the miracle. Proof follows the miracle. Faith comes first. If you knew what God was going to do when he told you to press on, it wouldn't take any faith to obey him. Faith comes first. And we've got to see, it's not the, the question of whether you're going to wait. It's how you're going to wait. That's what, ma- that's what matters. It's, will you wait in faith? Or will you wait in frustration? Come on, church. Philippians 3.21, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Paul, who had been shipwrecked, beaten with rods, snake bit, spent a night and day in the open ocean, right? He, he was stoned like Stephen, yet survived. He says at the end of his life, I might not be moving very fast, but I ain't stopping. I'm moving forward. Hello? It's like my, uh, listen, when I, 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 feel, uh, I feel like it's like my grandpa, right? He's 104. 
He just keeps going. Right? Like, how? He just, Paul has decided that he's going to press on. And in your notes, write this down. When you're waiting on a miracle, God is waiting on you to press on. When you're waiting on a miracle, God is waiting on you to press on. If you'll come. What do you do when you want to give up? Paul says, I press on. I press on. I strain toward the prize. What's he doing? He's working hard at it. He's not sitting back. He's not waiting. Make sure it's all go, all the pieces are in the right order for it to happen. No, he's 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 what is he what's he doing? He's sharing faith right there in the jail cell. Maybe I lead a, a guard to Christ. Maybe this horrible human being that I've been cooped up with for weeks, months, years now. Maybe they'll maybe they'll get saved by the power of God. So I could stay stuck or I could, I could share my faith. I could be shackled or I could press on. What are we going to do? What about your life today? What are you going to do? You stay in the season that you're currently in. Or you can press on. You can press on. How many people are stuck and we've, we've been virtually in the same place for years? Jesus is yet, he's, he's doing what he's always done. Why? Because he, he's never going to change. And I don't know about you, but that, that brings me so much comfort. He's not changing. I know what to expect. I know what to rely on. Come on, church. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Rest for your weary soul. We have got all this baggage, all these failures. Jesus is saying, yeah, just come. Just come. your stuff. Come just as you are. Come on, everybody. Would you stand to your feet all over this room? God, I thank you so much for the power of your presence here today. How many of you right now would just say, on. I want to press on. If that's you, just get out of your chair and come right to the front right here. All of you, come on. If that's you, if you want to press on, let's make a, let's make a movement toward pressing. Come on, right now. Right now, don't wait. Don't wait on somebody else. If you got to wait on somebody else to decide if you're going to press on, that's not you pressing. That's you being encouraged to Walk with them. God, I'm going to choose to press on.
God, I choose. I choose to not stay in the season spiritually that I've been in. I choose to move forward. I choose to, to make, I choose, I'm making a conscious choice to move forward. I'm going to do what I need to do to take steps toward you. God, I choose you in spite of my failure. I forget what is behind me. I'm going to press on to what you have. God, all over this house, I pray that your spirit be evident in the lives of every single person here today. And that God, those that in the depth of their heart are making the decision to take steps toward you, I pray for them this morning, God. As you pray for them, I pray for them. And God, as you seated at the right hand of the Father, the word says you're you're interceding on our behalf. God, we press. We press on. So faith is lacking. God, I pray that you you would build faith within them. And we know faith is built by exercising faith. So what is it that you're saying we say yes to? Those of you that showed up here this morning and there's a need in your life, I just, I just encourage you, press in to him. He has what you need. He has exactly what you need. He may answer the need of your heart in one way or another way, but he's got exactly his will for your life. So right now we're just going to say to you, God, we trust you. We trust you. We trust what you have for us is better than what we would ever try to create for us on our own. But we trust you. We thank you. We, we, we praise your name today, God, that we, we, we can stand in this place. Pressing today and you haven't given your life to Jesus, can I encourage you? Can I encourage the Bible says you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that he is the Lord. He's the son of God, that he went to the cross, that he died, that he rose again on your behalf, that you will be saved. Your sins will be forgiven, that you'll be saved. It's by faith we confess. It's by faith that we believe. It's by faith that we receive everything from him. So if it's salvation that you're seeking this morning, ask him. If it's for a need in your life, ask him. And if you will choose to press on, God will do in your life exactly what you need. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ today all over this room. Pray for every, every family represented in this church. And that today, God, that you would be with them, that you would be, you would go before them, that you would, you would be their rear guard. That God, you would encourage us to move forward in you. That we would not get lackadaisical, that we would not get stuck in any way, but that we would say yes, that we would continue moving forward, and that our faith would rise, knowing that you're with us. God, I pray that 
no one in this place feels alone. They feel, they feel like you've given them a family to reside within. Thank you for family. Thank you for faith. And thank you for your faithfulness. Your God has never failed us. And we're going to trust in you. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening with us today. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash or join us for service Sundays at 9 or 11 a.m.